0: You have no doubt heard the term readers are leaders. Well, today we'll all hear why that is indeed the case and even how you can read more effectively as a leader. It's Jeff Brown, co-author of the new book, Read to Lead on the Manager Message Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr.
0: Come on in and welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. I'm Jim Carr, and I'm here to help you and your team get the most out of your everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. That can mean a more consistent message, higher revenue, stronger customer and employee engagement, and much less frustration. I do that through consulting, professional speaking, and advisory work. You can learn more and even call me directly or simply schedule a time to talk at jimcar.com. On this podcast, you'll hear me and expert guests talk about the three foundational components for managing your message. First, the message itself, meaning the actual words, questions, and stories most effective with buyers. Second, your messengers, the network of people inside and outside of your business who can help you share that message. And third, the management habits that build consistency, scale, and ultimately an advantage for your business. We bring all of this together for you because, simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Today, we're speaking with Jeff Brown, host of the award-winning podcast, Read to Lead, now author of a book by the same name. It was a great conversation. I found it particularly interesting that Jeff has not always been a reader or even a book lover, and you'll really appreciate his story of the mysterious meeting at his workplace that led him to be part of a group of readers. Without further ado, my conversation with Jeff Brown. Message Manager listeners, you're in for a treat today, a conversation with Jeff Brown. Jeff is, well, it's a name you might know already. He is an award-winning radio producer and personality with a voice that just appears to be better than mine. As a former (laughs) nationally syndicated morning show host, Jeff's laughing on the other side of the screen here, Uh, he had a 26-year career in radio. Jeff decided to go boss-free in 2013, work for himself and have the worst boss in the world when you work for yourself. (laughs) Soon after that, he launched a podcast called the Read to Lead podcast. It's one that I subscribe to and and I can recommend to you. Uh, That podcast has gone on to be a four-time Best Business Podcast nominee. It's featured Jeff with interviews with more than 300 guests and authors' names you'll know. A lot of them like the, uh, the actor Alan Alda, Seth Godin, John Maxwell, Nancy Duarte, Simon Sinek, fiction and nonfiction book authors. It's really a nice and impressive mix of people who have made their way onto Jeff's podcast. He has also personally coached hundreds of successful podcasters around the globe, many of them award nominees and winners themselves. He also consults on podcasts for the U.S. government, two of the largest churches in the U.S., and several multi-million dollar companies. Jeff and his work have been featured in a number of publications, Inc., Entrepreneur, HubSpot, other blogs, other uh, publications. But today, we are mostly we think, going to be talking about Jeff's brand new book called Read to Lead. Nice job of tying that to the podcast, Jeff. (laughs) Uh, Read to Lead, the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. Jeff, welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Yes, that title was intentional. Uh, we did that on purpose, in case there's any doubt.
0: <laughs> Repetition can be a very good component of managing your message and growing your influence as well. Well, let's just get one thing set off the bat, Jeff. I've been through the book and I've I've heard you as well. You did not begin life as a bookworm. This was not a thing that you have been doing from day one. For those in the listening audience who were more like, "Yeah, this sounds like a nice thing that I want to do and I've been intending to do, but I'm really not that much of a reader, but you weren't always a reader."
2: Yeah, that's true. and, and a part of the story I don't often tell is I started out as one as a young kid and my mom reading books to me and encouraging reading and taking us to the library together as a family. But then I started school. And in school, as many know, and no disrespect to teachers, my sister's a teacher, school is famous for making you read stuff you don't want to read. And for (laughs) the next, you know, 15, 18, 20 years, whatever, I was in that place where I was always having to read things I had no desire to read. And the thing I, I hate to say about it really is that school educated out of me the desire to read so that when I left, my attitude was, well, thank goodness, all that learning stuff is done. And I don't have to do that anymore. That was kind of my attitude. It's an immature attitude, sure. But it would be another 10 years and additional years of no reading into my 30s before I would begin to realize the error of my ways, if you will, and start latching on to book after book after book after book. But yeah, I, I, if I could live that part of my life over the school part, well, I, I'm not sure I would want to live that over. Who, who does? But <laughs> maybe some of those years and, and read a few books at least along the way, I certainly would take advantage of that. When
0: I was reading Read to Lead, and we'll jump ahead
2: a bit here in your journey,
0: it was a very interesting story. So you had been in the radio business. As I recall, you were in the music business. You came back into the radio business. And when you started back into that, you discover there was this mysterious meeting that was happening on a weekly basis. There were managers who would gather together once a week in the conference room of, uh, of this radio station Tell us a little bit about what you learned about that meeting, why it was intriguing, and how you managed over time to wrangle an invitation to it.
2: <laughs> yeah, a great memory. Yeah, uh, very much intriguing uh, meeting in the sense that I wasn't invited in. So it was intriguing for that reason. But I also realized uh, when I came to this radio station, unlike most of the radio stations I had been to previously, here was a place where I was out of my comfort zone. I was surrounded by dozens of people. Much more well-taught in their craft, much further along in their craft than I was. Most of the stations I spent my time at in the early part of my career, I spent my time at to feed my ego because I was often the star of the station when it came to the on-air personalities, and I liked that, and I stayed there for far too long. You know, If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? And so I got to this new station, and suddenly I'm not the smartest, quote-unquote, person in the room anymore, and it was a little off-putting at first. But when I began to see, well, what are all these smart people doing? Well, they're not towing the company line. They're not resting on their laurels. Uh, They're not satisfied with the status quo. What I see them doing is constantly learning and improving themselves. And they're doing that by reading books about our industry, about reading books about things that impact our industry, like later would be social media, marketing, all these different things. And I thought, I have so much respect for them and I I feel so fortunate to be here. If they're doing that thing, then I want to do that thing. I want to know what that's about. What are they reading about? What are they talking about? How do I get in there? Well, it was the the leadership team that would meet. So it was the the general manager and others in positions of leadership within the radio station, program director, sales manager, folks uh, of that ilk. And after uh, a few months or maybe a year or so, I was promoted and that promotion, what came along with that was being a part of the leadership team. And so suddenly I found myself in those meetings and the first book I was introduced to, I remember like it was yesterday, it was 2003, about 18 years ago. And it was Seth Godin's Purple Cow, which had come out right around that time. Now I had been introduced previous to this to a nonfiction book or two in my 20s, but they, did, they didn't take, they didn't stick. Uh, the student was not ready. That, that, that phrase, when the student is ready, the teacher appears or something like that. And in, in my early 30s, well, it was different. It stuck. The books resonated. And once I jumped into the first few, I I was just fascinated. I couldn't get enough. And I've been a avid reader ever since then. We'll unpack this a little bit because your book
0: is very good about the how, how to develop these habits, how to get past Excuses, how to get past perceived weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always important to establish that why up front as well and jumping ahead. So you have gone to being a well-known, successful individual performer, and then you get into a position of more influence. Now you have your own business. So what have you found to be through those different paths, Jeff, have been the benefits of this, not new anymore, but this different habit around reading and talking to authors and really diving in all the way?
2: Yeah, what books have taught me and continue the habit of reading have been things like mindset, how to approach my business, how to approach my life in, in positive, fulfilling ways. The importance of surrounding myself with people who have similar goals and aspirations, having that sort of personal board of advisors, if you will. I leverage that through what's called a mastermind group on a weekly basis, getting challenged, getting pushed out of my comfort zone, getting encouraged, all of those things are a part of you know being like, so I've learned the importance of things like that, being taken out of my comfort zone on a regular basis is something I try to do often, mastering my mornings and being very particular about taking time to fill my tank before I take on the day, that if I make some time for Jeff early in the morning, I'll be much better equipped to impact the world the way I want and my relationships in a super powerful, positive way. So a little bit of selfishness, first thing in the morning, you might, you might consider it to be, but it's a means to an end. It's for a larger goal, impactful goal. So I've learned things like that and more through the books that I've read over the years, and they've helped me in a multitude of ways. Those are just some examples uh, in my business and, and in my daily life.
0: I was reminded as I was reading your book, Anthony Annarino. I believe, was the one who talks about this a bit, Anthony Reno, a sales author and then sales guru. But he talks a lot about the characteristics of really effective high performers and that everyone has strengths and they have weaknesses. And I believe the way he puts it is you also have vulnerabilities. And so there are lots of people, I would think, that would approach this reading habit and whether it's done individually or with a mastermind or a book club, whatever. And they would say, you know, kind of a nice to have kind of a thing I ought to do but maybe that's not that, that great of a thing. And as I've heard Anthony put it, hey, look, you can have great strengths in your character and in your skills, and that's great, you build upon those. You can have weaknesses, but you don't even have to address the weaknesses all the time. So maybe you're not good at accounting, or you can find a good accountant and someone who will advise your business and keep you out of trouble and, and keep you in the right spot. But if, for example, if you're a sales leader and you lack business acumen, you really can't have the right conversations with your prospects, that's not just a weakness, that's a vulnerability. So that somehow, if you don't address that, you're really going to limit your growth potential. And I think a lot of the things that you just talked about, Jeff, let's get past the like, oh, well, I'm not a good reader or it's not a habit that I have, but they can be real vulnerabilities, I think, for the professionals listening in on this and the leaders and future leaders listening to this, that if you lack perspective, if you lack communication skills, if you don't have the right mindset, if you can't control your time and your priorities, the the things, again, that you just mentioned, it's something that can seem like a weakness or it's kind of a would-be-nice-if really is a bit of a vulnerability. So I think you stepping into these areas and learning from the books that you've read and applying those, it, it speaks well. I think that's a good example of the the things that our listeners would say, you know, it's it's probably time for me if I'm not doing it already to uh, step up my reading game.
2: Hmm. Well said,
0: well said. Let's break down some of the hows because you you are encouraging and very practical in the book. And uh, we should mention you are a co-author of the book. You're the lead author, but Jesse Wisniewski is your uh, co-author in Read to Lead. So, what was the the step from the uh, radio and media professional, to starting to get into reading very seriously and learning from it in business, to having a podcast called Read to Lead, where you're in and speaking with top authors.
2: Yeah. As I began to read throughout the 2000s, the decade before the last one, and then on to the end of the 2010s, I was at my last job until 2013. One of the things I knew I wanted to attempt was a side hustle, a side business. And I landed upon helping mostly local businesses in my community with websites and mobile apps. Uh, this is around the late 2000s and up into 2010 on into 2013 when, you know, mobile apps were, you know, just starting out and, and to have one was like the end thing. And most small businesses just assumed that that was not something they could afford to have. And. I tried to change their minds about that and, and help them realize that they could have an app. I could help them create it, and they could more intimately connect with their customers as a result of leveraging that. And so, I read books about that. I went online to learn more about that and started a business called Brown Nose Media. K N O W S. A little play on words there, but my last name being Brown. But anyway, uh, all that to say, when the radio career came to an end, and it came to an end through no fault of my own, I got I got downsized and mid-2013, I was able to fall back on that side hustle and do it 40 hours a week for a time. But the interesting thing with that was, and again, I I attribute the books I read to all of this knowledge that I was leveraging and implementing and executing on. It all came down to books that I was reading. Within 30 days of getting let go, I had invoiced. Now, that money doesn't all come to you at once because you've only invoiced it, but it was encouraging to have invoiced. Twice what my take-home pay had been in a 30-day period at my radio job, which was the radio job I had made more money at per year than in any job I'd had previously, and so that was a realization for me that I don't have to go and look for another job. I didn't want to do that anyway, but it is time to embark on my own, which I had been an idea I'd been toying with, and and this situation is the push, the shove that I need to actually do it, and so that's where it all began. Just so happens that. Before this job loss uh, took place, right before I began experimenting with this idea of launching a podcast, had narrowed down a name, had bought the equipment, had begun scheduling interviews. And a month before the podcast was to launch and two days before I was to conduct my first interview, I got my walking papers. And so the podcast was already happening and then just coincided with, with launching a month after I got let go. And that was eight years ago. And so I've been doing it, been doing it ever since. And it's led to all kinds of opportunities, uh, not the least of which, as you've mentioned, is authoring a traditionally published book.
0: What was going to be the topic originally, Jeff, for the podcast? Were you going to talk about marketing strategies and, and some of the other things that you were working on? It wasn't expressly, I would imagine, about books at the time, or, or was it?
2: It was, actually. So uh, at 2013, I had been an avid reader for about 10 years. And I had gotten to the point where I went from reading maybe a book a quarter to a book a month. And here in early 2013, we're about three months into the year. And I'm counting up the number of books I've read or listened to at that point. I listened to a lot of books because I had a commute. And it was almost 12 books, 10 to 12 books, something like that. And and when I realized that was the number I had read in three months, I said out loud in the car on my way home one day, wow, that's like a book a week. And when I said that, a light bulb went off in my head. I thought of podcasts as uh, strictly weekly events. All the ones I listened to at that time were weekly podcasts, You know, daily podcasts. Didn't really exist back then. There weren't too many that published content more often than that. So a light bulb went off and I thought, maybe that's that podcast idea I've been looking for. You know, Again, thinking of podcasts as being weekly in my mind and I read a book a week anyway. You know, I'm already doing that. How much fun would it be to leverage that thing I'm already doing? to get to talk to authors, to help more people get their noses in books, to have people to talk about the books I'm reading with, which is something I was having trouble finding anyway. For, hey, free books. You know, all of these things just kind of started adding, adding up and making sense. And once, once I had that light bulb moment, that aha moment, I I just ran with it. Interesting.
0: And I guess you found along the way, I certainly have and we've got some personal experience we can, we can talk about as well that authors like talking about their work. They like talking about their books. And so, especially to someone, to a host who has read the thing.
2: Yes. Yes, they do. In fact, uh, one of the comments I get as much as any other, and maybe you've heard this as a podcaster too, is after an interview, I often get a comment along the lines of, boy, it's really nice to talk to somebody who's obviously read the book. That happens so rarely. And I'm, I'm guilty of that having worked in radio and getting pitched books. And not having time to read every book. And I'm sure a lot of times when authors do TV interviews, they're sitting down with someone who's only skimmed it and somebody else has gone through it and highlighted what they should focus in on. And that person doing the interview hasn't actually read it. They can't read everything, right? And so it's really refreshing for a lot of people I talk to. To them, it's obvious, I guess, because of, of my preparation or something. But yeah, to actually read the book, to talk about it with someone who's read it, for authors. And I'm finding, you know, doing interviews myself now is a pretty refreshing thing.
0: But not the usual case, Jeff. I was, I was thinking as well on this podcast, last year we interviewed Frank Sesno, the former uh, CNN uh, chief White House correspondent and occasional stand-in for Larry King back in the day on CNN. Uh, we were going over some Larry King stories. And Larry King, famously for authors who would come on his show, would not have read the book, not a word. And he said that was on purpose because he wanted to have the perspective of an audience member who had not read the book and wanted to ask questions about why would they be interested in potentially reading the book? Now, you could say maybe he did a simple volume of requests and he didn't really have the time to do that. That was a strategy. I suspect that more often, like the experience that you had, whether it be TV hosts, radio hosts, podcast hosts, or whomever, they're just getting requests all the time. And so it is, again, refreshing for someone who has uh, been able to take the time, and you obviously started years ago to commit that time to actually reading the book and drawing more from the authors. So commend you for that. It, is that been a, uh, you surprise your author guests sometimes with that? You, you mentioned that it's a it's not the usual case.
2: Yeah, and and it's I I hate that that's the case. I I don't want to speak ill of the deceased, but I I, I've not met Larry King, but I would venture to guess that that was more of an excuse not to have to read the books (laughs) of the people interviewed as much as anything else. And and I've heard people say that before. I've heard I've heard others who interview authors say something along those lines of uh, you know I want to know less than my listener knows. And my I can't wrap my brain around that. One of the things I do when I am deciding on whether or not to have someone on my show is ask the question, what do I want my listener to get out of this transaction? And for my show and my guests, the answer to that question is the same, every single outing. The answer to the question is, I want my listeners to walk away with the key insights and main ideas from the author's book. Now, the only way we're going to get that is if I ask questions to elicit those responses. And so I have to know what those things are. So I begin with the end in mind, as Stephen R. Covey is famous for saying, and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I choose my destination. You know, if you're going to decide tomorrow to go on vacation, you're not going to likely walk out the door and then go, oh, well, where do we want to go on vacation? You're going to decide where you're going to go first. So you know how to get there. Right. And so I decide. What's the destination? That being, what do I want my listeners to get out of this transaction, if you will, this conversation, that informs the questions that I ask. Those questions become my roadmap to actually getting to that destination. So, you know, it's like a a good lawyer doesn't put a witness on the stand and ask questions they don't already know the answer to. Many of the questions I ask my guests, I already know the answer. I'm not asking for me. I've read the book, but I'm asking to get the answer for my listener in the hopes that they'll hear something that piques their curiosity and then go out and buy it and dig into it.
0: Well, to that end, Jeff, uh, there are a few things that uh, I believe in a lot of the the business managers, business leaders who are part of this audience and and, uh, with whom I I deal and speak on a regular basis. I think they're channeling a, a few areas here, which you address in the book. We won't get to all of them, but a few things that I thought might pull out you have a chapter, I believe it's chapter four. I'm not cheating and looking at my notes here, but it's about the excuses that we make for not reading more. Or we, we tend to beat ourselves up a little bit, but we probably program our brains to say, "Well, that's really not me," because because I'm too busy I don't have the time. I'm not a fast reader. I'm not. I have other habits, etc. I thought I'd pull a couple of them out that I, I think might be particularly germane, and then just let you speak to. Your advice on getting past them, and we, there are a couple of other things in our time here today to talk to as well. But I think part of it is just getting past the natural reticence or the stories that we've told ourselves about reading. And, uh, and by the way, I don't even read as much as I should, so uh, <laughs> this is helpful to me as well. You addressed uh, listening to audiobooks as well as uh, as physical books, and I am in. Both of those worlds, but I have times where the audiobook is, is great and it's more convenient. What do you find in terms of mostly effective practices for people if it's one versus the other or the two of them together in a way that will get the most out of the material?
2: Yeah, great question for sure. And there's a couple of ways to uh, attack that, regardless of which medium you're in, the physical book, whether that's the actual book itself or, or e-book, you're reading it that way, versus an audiobook. I think the important thing to remember when it comes to comprehension and retention, and this is something I've only been doing for the last few years, and it's made a huge difference, and that is not getting caught up in taking notes as you go. That seems like such a natural thing to do, or at least it has been for me. But what I do now is is I force myself to only, in a physical book, make marks as I go and allow my reading to continue and only stop myself to take notes once a chapter is finished or at, very, at the very least, a complete section within a chapter. In the case of an audio book, I will limit myself to simply just when something is said, I want to go back to bookmarking that se- section with a quick tap of the smartphone, right? So I can do exactly that, not take any notes on it. Not get out my keyboard, stop the book, and type whatever in, but just tap that bookmark once the chapter's through, then I go back and take more you know copious, more serious, more thoughtful notes. in the case of an audiobook, going to those bookmarks, in the case of a physical book, it might be an asterisk for things that I thought were of particular importance and maybe things I want to implement. It might be a cue for uh, a pithy quote that I want to remember or something that was said in in a compelling way. I might put a question mark for something that maybe I don't understand, or maybe I'm not even sure I agree with and and want to investigate further. And then in addition to that, I would say uh, another thing that has benefited me the last three years is taking those two mediums, either the ebook or physical book, and combining it simultaneously with the audio book. When we read, we're as kids, we're taught to sound the words out aloud and read aloud, and that's great. But if we continue that on into adulthood, what I mean is, you know, if you're like me, you can be reading a book, and in your brain, in your head, be sounding out every single word. Well, that's sometimes going to make reading a slog. It can take a long time to get through a book, depending on how quickly or slowly you you do that. And so it's it's kind of, in one sense, it's sort of a way to cheat your way to speed reading in, in one sense, in that I put the audiobook on 1.5 or 1.75 or 2 times speed while I'm following along and reading but, at a much faster pace, the physical or ebook because we can listen and comprehend faster than typically than we can than we can read aloud in our minds, and so that sort of combination of those two mediums at the same time really helps with my retention and remembering what I'm reading as well as comprehension and at that speed, at those high speeds, all I have time to do is make those little notes you know i'm I'm letting it go as best I can without stopping until a section or at least at least a section, but optimally until the chapter is over, then I go back and go, where did I make marks? Where did I dog ear the page? What do I want to now? Now I'm in note-taking mode. I'm going to take the next half hour just to take notes on what I read. So separating those two from one another to me has has made a huge difference.
0: It's an interesting tactic. I don't think that I've uh, been aware of that one of, of uh, listening to Alvin the Chipmunk uh, at high speed on <laughs> the audiobook as I'm reading along. For those of us who have read our own books, it's a it's a a little bit dispiriting. But but I can see where that would be really effective. And Jeff, there's on a related issue. You also talk about in the book. There's a a, a strategy for times when you would recommend people use their normal reading rhythm and times when they would skim. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, this is something I try not to do too terribly often, but, you know, life happens and sometimes we have no choice. I, I say I try not to do it too terribly often because what I'm reading, I'm often reading in anticipation of interviewing somebody. So let's assume you're not interviewing the author. So there's no re- reason to feel guilty like I might feel for doing this. <laughs> but skimming is a powerful thing, especially when it comes to nonfiction. You're not going to do this with fiction books, for example. This is only going to work with nonfiction. Uh, And Jesse, my co-author, frankly, helped me sort of crystallize this. This was something that I had done in the past, just not intentionally, but didn't realize was a thing until Jesse helped crystallize it in my mind. And that is uh, with nonfiction, oftentimes, and we designed our book this way, oftentimes you can look at the table of contents. That's where I would start. And what chapter titles grab your attention? There's nothing necessarily that says you have to start at the beginning, right? It's not a fiction book. Maybe the book flows better that way. And if it does, the author will suggest that. But oftentimes the non book, that's it's not necessary to start at the beginning. Start with what interests you most and work your way through the book that way. So start with the table of contents, read the introduction, read the conclusion or epilogue if there is one, and then go to that first chapter you wanna start with. Again, not necessarily chapter one. Read the headings and subheadings of the entire chapter, skim those and just begin familiarizing yourself with the points the author's making, with the idea that he or she is sharing. Once you've done that, go back to the beginning of the chapter and now read the first and last sentence of each paragraph. Oftentimes, some exceptions to this, sure, but oftentimes that's where the true meat is with the fiction book. That's, again, with intentionality, how we wrote our book more often than not. We put things in the book, like at the end of the chapter, an over-to-you section with suggestions for next actions. We recommend books at the end of each chapter. Was it something else we like about the books we read? There's a pithy quote at the beginning of each chapter from someone who we think, you know, the quote kind of helps sum up the chapter. It's called an epigraph for you non-authors out there. And so, again, very much we tried to craft and create and design a book that is very much like an amalgamation of all the books we've read that we really, really like.
0: And before we talk a a little bit more about your book, which again is is, uh, quite valuable, we'll go back to the story you told at the beginning of our conversation about the mysterious meeting back in the radio uh, station business. You devote a good bit of time, a good bit of space in this book about book clubs and the rationale behind them, where they tend to work the best, how you might join one or start one. Can you talk a little bit about, about that as a practical application and really the leading part of Read to Lead?
2: Yeah, and I think you know, how you respond to this chapter ultimately will depend on whether you're a leader, a manager of people, or the member of a team. If you're the manager of people and you hope or desire to build a, a culture of reading within your organization... You know, starting a book club and, and then, you know, requiring people or begging people to attend is probably not going to be very successful. You may have people who like the idea, but aren't jazzed about everybody reading the same book at the same time, necessarily. Not everybody's in the same place mentally, necessarily. So, you know, there are some, some things to work through here. So I would start as a manager, as a leader, I would start by allowing yourself to be caught reading by your staff. And making it okay to, at your desk, at your place of of work, to spend some time to read. Maybe you even carve out an hour a week in your company where you say, hey, Thursday afternoon's at two. We've set that time aside for reading because we value it so highly. So we're, we're requesting that nobody, you know, schedule meetings during that time or take phone calls during that time. The receptionist is going to take messages for everybody during that hour or whatever. And we encourage you to read a book about our industry about your specific position within the industry or department or something about personal development or mindset, and maybe you even reward your employees for that. again, it's not everybody reading the same thing at the same time, necessarily they you know they could turn in a you know a two page book report and you know over time earn vacation days or something or, or what what have you. Let them catch you reading first and let them know it's okay for them to do. Likewise. Now, what I have found is as leaders begin doing that, they uh, inevitably come to meetings. And things come up in meetings where the leader will at some point say, you know what, I was just reading the other day in this book called Such and Such by So and So. And she says that when faced with this problem we're up against, here's some things we should consider. What do you guys think? And as you do more and more of that as a leader, your staff, your team is going to begin, if they're not already curious about books, are going to become more and more curious over time about all this reading you're doing and everything you're learning and how much value you're bringing to the meetings. And you may even have someone who's a rising star come to you. And this is great when this happens. Say, hey, you know what? I think I want to start a book club. When someone on your staff can be the impetus for getting it rolling, sometimes that can carry more weight with their peers than if you kick it off and people feel like they have to come because you're the boss or whatever. So when you can find one of those rising stars who is willing to take on that role because they've seen how it's impacted you and your leadership and your success, and they they, like I did all those years ago and want to be a part of that, then that can be that can be huge. Great guidance there, Jeff.
0: All right. So let's get to whatever incident, whatever spark, whatever stumble where you hit your head and you went from grand success as a communicator and interviewing successful authors to saying hey, why don't I do this myself? So you put together the book as we record this. You're just a a few weeks from launch. Tell us a little bit about the impetus to take all of this, this experience, the guidance, what you've seen, and how you're structuring the book and how we can get hold of this, maybe even use read to lead as starting our own new set of habits.
2: Oh, that would be great. Yeah, the book is structured such that the first section makes the case for why this is a habit you need to cultivate. We spend three or four chapters on that. If you're already convinced of that, then you can skip that section. You know, Good news for you, you don't even have to read that part. But if you still need some convincing, that's definitely where you'll want to uh, start. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. W- one of my favorite chapters in there talks about why you need to read like your career depends on it, because I think it, it truly does. Uh, the second section gets more into you know, how to know what to read, depending on where you are in your career, in your life, I've gone through different phases. Uh, I've been in a mindset phase for a good little while, loving reading books on mindset and just kind of expanding my thinking in a number of ways. There was a, a period where, and I still read books on this, but a, a good five-year period where I read a lot of public speaking books as I tried to improve and hone that skill. So that's the second section help you determine kind of what to start with. And then the last section it gets into the how to make the most of what you're reading. Some of the things we've talked about today, as well as how to read more in less time. Also some things that we talked about uh, today. So I think there's something in it for everyone. If it's not for you, um, my guess is you at least know some people who could benefit from a book like this. And so I'd encourage you to to pick it up. You can get it up until when it launches August 31st. You can get it for 40% off. It's just like 11 bucks. When you go to readtoleadbook.com, and there's also $500 in bonuses. for So for $11, uh, 40% off uh, the retail price of, I think, $18.99, you get $500 worth of free stuff, which includes the audiobook. I've had a lot of people say, Jeff, are you doing an audiobook? I said, yes, but don't buy it. Buy a physical copy. You get the audiobook for free. You get a four-module video course that Jesse and I have created that help you put into Practice the things that we're teaching. You get some other digital bonuses. There's a bonus chapter that I wrote that's not in the book. It didn't get finished in time to be included in the book. My wife considers it her favorite chapter. It's called Growing the Best Version of You. And when you do the 40% off route from our uh, publisher, Baker Books, you get an autographed book plate to go in the book as well. So those are just some of the freebies you get when you take advantage of the, of the pre, pre-order pre now.
0: Excellent. Are you going to interview yourself on the uh, Read delete podcast, <laughs> uh, maybe do something in a couple of different tracks, uh, give yourself a surprise question, something
2: along those lines? <laughs> I, you know, I said several years ago, a friend of mine, another podcaster who I've attended a few podcast movement conferences with, he asked me, he was one of those people who said, Jeff, when are you going to write a book? And I hemmed and hawed. And he said, well, when you do, he was very confident. He said, when you do, I want to be the person who comes on your show and interviews you for your own book. And I said, okay. And so I'm keeping that promise. His name is Jody Mayberry. And at some point in the very near future, Jody's going to be interviewing me for the Read to Lead podcast.
0: And uh, beware if he begins a question with something like, how in the world did you come up with this thing on page 94 where you... <laughs> s- <laughs> it was very solid. Message manager listeners, is this is Jeff Brown. Definitely check out the Read Delete podcast. And uh, I can recommend the book, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. We'll put the links in, of course, the show description. But Jeff, one more time, could you give us the link to get the book and all the extra goodies, do the math, you know, 18 bucks and you get $500 of value, all of that. While you're working on the math and long
2: division, Jeff, could you <laughs> <laughs> one more reminder. Yeah, that's Read readtoleadbook.com
0: easy as can be. Jeff Brown, thank you again. We really appreciate uh, you being on the podcast and uh, best of success
2: with the book. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks to you for joining us on the podcast, whether you are a returning message manager listener or this is even your first time in. This is a side project. My day job is as a consultant and speaker. So if you find it valuable, then I would really appreciate your five-star rating and review. That helps other professionals like you to find us. Even better, tell a friend directly. I hope you continue to find ideas for honing your message, growing your base of messengers, and growing your business. You can dig in more deeply by reading or listening to my book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find that book wherever business books are sold. And you can even check out a free sampler on my website, jimcar.com. This is the time to get your team ready for their new everyday business conversations. You have several options for getting started. I have a free five-step, one-page guide for managing your growth message. It's available to you on the website, on LinkedIn, or you may email me directly at jim gym, at gymcard.com. My direct mobile number is also on the website, so let's talk. I also have a number of message leadership and growth programs, which I deliver virtually and in person, so that you and everyone around your business can likewise be comfortable and effective in their customer conversations in all of the ways that they will be happening in the coming months and years. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast and connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.